Just a quick heads up about this episode. It was recorded before the annual South by Southwest festival was canceled because of the ongoing coronavirus. So you'll hear Ann and Nick talk about the show as if it wasn't called off. Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Lewis Goldberg of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. This week, Lewis is out, so Ann and Nick speak with Puneet Seth co-founder and CEO of Toast, a forward-thinking cannabis brand delivering full-spectrum CBD and low-dose THC products. Toast's mission is to provide micro-dosed cannabis products that fit a range of users' needs so that they can enjoy cannabis socially while also remaining fully in control. Toast has made a lot of noise as a growing brand in this space, so don't sit back. Lean forward. Now on to our conversation with Puneet, Anne, and Nick. Anne, I'm back. I'm, I'm, I'm here. Yay! <laughs> uh, so filling in, we're, we're recording this uh, during the Benzinga Miami show. Lewis is out in Miami, so um, I got to jump in again. Yay! Um, so this episode's coming up. Uh, it's going to publish right, uh, I believe, before South by Southwest, which um, if you haven't been following this year, they are having a major cannabis track. It's ridiculous. So much cannabis. It's pretty awesome. If you guys haven't checked it out, go to the South by Southwest uh, interactive website. They're doing like five days of cannabis focused stuff in um, there's a lot of really cool things about it. Some of my favorite journalists are going to be down there. I believe uh, Natalie Furtick from uh, Politico is going to be there. Jeremy Burke from Business Insider. Like, and then in in addition to that, we ha- we have some of our clients. Shout out Forefront. Uh, they're going to be down there. Just clicked on the Frenemies one. Uh, like it just my my cursor automatically went there, and that's the one that uh, Frenemies cannabis activists and cannabis industry. That's the one that Chris Crane from Forefront is going to head up. So um, sorry I interrupted you there, but yeah. Well, anybody that's going to be in Austin at, at that time, like you're you're never going to find anybody that's going to be really more educated on the on the topic of cannabis activism, the whole the whole subject than Chris. So if you can see him in person, highly recommend it. But it's just really cool to see like the way they're putting this together, you know, they, they, they have the business leaders there. They have the journalists involved. They have some activists there too. It, it's, it looks like it's going to be a really exciting event. Yeah. I mean, and they are, they are tackling everything from, um, you know, social justice to the, the international forum. They've got something on the state of cannabis in Mexico. Um, you know, there, this, this is almost a fully independent show aside from South by Southwest. So, um, it is really incredible to see them doing this. So, um, I'm excited to see what comes out, um, what comes out of the, the show. Yeah, I think I think it's one of those things where, you know, this is the, I think this is the first time South by is really going big on it and kind of the feedback, you know, we've been doing the 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 regular circuit of of shows around the cannabis industry for the last couple of years now and kind of the feedback we get is, hey, we want to see more engaging uh, topics and content panels and stuff like that. 
well, well, folks, like this ticket's going to be a little bit more expensive than maybe um, some of those other shows. But, you know, it looks like the content is going to be top notch. And so if you have a chance to get out there, I, I'm highly recommending it. And, you know, we're not paid by South by Southwest for this. We've just been, <laughs> you know, salivating over the agenda. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think and I think this goes a long way towards normalization. Um, you know, this is one of the the most well-respected, um, you know, festivals, conventions. I don't even know what we're calling it anymore. I think people, you know, we're even just call it South by and everyone knows what you're talking about. So, um, I don't know. I think it just brings an incredible amount of normalization to, um, to the industry. Um, and also want to give a shout out to Shay, uh, and the marijuana today podcast, cause they will be there as well. And all of their, um, favorites. I think uh, they have a, a special guest uh on that on that panel um that people may want to go meet i don't know if we can say it though uh, i'm not saying it yeah so i think we're just going to leave it at that it's just gonna yeah. be the, there's a special guest don't, on that panel so check it out check out that marijuana today recording okay and with that let's chat some toast so we're here with uh puneet seth co-founder and ceo of toast puneet thanks so much for joining us today Thank you. Uh, really happy to be here. Yeah. So I want to kick it off. Uh, well, actually, before we get into the first questions, uh, going through your bio, saw that you're a Clemson grad. Anne here is a big time Clemson trying fan. Trying to so. contain myself. I'm trying <laughs> to contain myself. Oh, wow. That, that's yeah. great to hear. I love meeting you. Did you did you go to Clemson? I didn't. My dad went to Clemson, and uh, I have a whole chunk of my family that's from Greenville, South Carolina. So I spent a lot of time um, in the state, and I have pictures of maybe my first Clemson game when I was about four years old. So um, I've been going down there quite regular regularly, and um, try to get to a game, if not every year, every other year. So we're big big football fans. That's that's really exciting to hear. Yeah, I'm, uh, I mean, you might be more diehard than I am since four years old. That's that's that's. I mean, I'm yeah. I think, uh, and it's funny because I I thought about going there, and then it seemed a little. I'm from New Jersey, seemed a little bit too far away from home. But uh, yeah, I mean, some of my earliest best memories are from Death Valley and uh, the Clemson Tiger, and you know all that fun stuff. So um, I was at the what game did I go to last year? Oh, the Texas A&M game. Um, which was awesome. So uh, yeah, I'm a, I try to get back as, as often as I can. My dad's in North Carolina now. And so we always try to make a, a pilgrimage. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what made you, so are, you're from Charleston, right? What, and we'll get into this in a second, but what, you know, it, it was that, you know, always a, a target school for you or what, you know, what made you go, what made you select Clemson? So I, uh, yeah, so I, I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, not to make myself sound like a super nerd, but I, I went to, for high school. I went to the Governor's School for Science and Math, which is a in-state funded school. Um, and you know, uh, I didn't really give a lot of thinking in terms of where I wanted to go to college. Uh, I got a, you know, I got a full ride to Clemson, and that was good for my family. And um, it was close. You know, my parents wanted me to be nearby, so that was that was really it. You know, I'm really glad I did. Uh, um, it was, it's been a, it's been a it's a really great alumni network. Uh, oh, I became yeah. a football fan more after I left than when I was there. Oh, really? I used to get all these free like student tickets, and sometimes I wouldn't go. And you know, <laughs> it, just, it just seems like so dumb now. It's worth <laughs> some money too. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but no, it was a great, it was a great time. It was uh, exactly the experience I wanted in college. So I'm really fortunate to have gone there. 
Well, okay. So then let's parlay this into uh, your cannabis journey. So you go to Clemson um, and, uh, you know, what did you come out wanting to do? And did you ever think you'd be doing this? So uh, I never thought in a million years I'd be uh, working in the cannabis industry. Um, you know, I, I'm i someone that likes to keep kind of options open and just um, a sponge and really like learn about um, learn about different things. So I, again, I left college, you know, I majored in computer science. I, I knew I didn't really want to be a computer scientist. Um, but, uh, but I, I knew I wanted to learn. There was more I needed to learn before I figured out what I was going to do, you know, in my career. So I won't take you through the whole thing, but I, I did like a quick stint in finance at bank of America. Um, really, again, it, I wish it was much more thoughtful than this, but it wasn't. Um, I had been in South Carolina my entire life. They wanted to move me to Dallas, Texas. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll go to Dallas and do whatever you guys want me to do. Um, and so I learned quite a bit there working with the finance group there. Um, but then really I, I, I went into management consulting at Accenture, um, that moved me to DC or outside of DC. Um, that was really a great move for me because it's in consulting, you get general experiences. You work on multiple types of projects. You meet people from all over the country and the world. Um, so that was an awesome experience. Um, and, you know, from Accenture, I went to business school where I learned more about business. I went to NYU. Um, and then post NYU, I went to, to work in finance and um, ultimately ended up here. I'm happy to happy to go more into that story. But, uh, but you know, that was my. Path. Yeah, I was going to say at NYU is kind of where you and your co-founders all first conceived of the idea of Toast. Right. So can you give us uh, uh, more of how you all made that connection to, and, and developed your idea and got started? Sure. So so while I was in business school, um, you know, I met I met um, one of my key co-founders, but we didn't think about it then. So uh, so I was at NYU. Um, I graduated. I met uh, David Moritz is one of our co-founders. I'm actually interned at his business. Um, he he uh, runs a uh, a creative agency. He was doing really cool work with Patron. You know, makes the David Yerman Lalique collaborations with Patron. Just really cool stuff. So I um, I worked with him over the summer um, in the spring. Um, but it actually I got you know it wasn't until like four or five years later that Toast actually came up. Um, I after business school. I went back to consulting for a little bit at Accenture where I met our chief operating officer, Siobhan, um, who's been like one of my best hires. Um, I recruited her over a year <laughs> to, to get her to come join us. And then um, I went to Bridgewater, which is a finance company um, where I got really good management training. And, um, and it, it was, so at this point, you know, I left, if we go backwards, I left college not knowing what I wanted to do. I took a pretty traditional path, finance consulting, uh, business school. Um, then I had done all, and I really enjoyed that experience. Um, and it was at that point where I really wanted to do something entrepreneurial. Um, and for me, it's all about people first before idea. Um, so David and I had stayed in touch. We really wanted to build a business together. Um, and then Chris Grave, who's the former CMO of Anheuser-Busch InBev and um, he's an NYU professor or, uh, you know, adjunct faculty. Um, he, he, I got connected with him at NYU, and the more we started talking, um, it was right around the time cannabis in Colorado had legalized in 2014. Um, and we really, as, as we were thinking about various entrepreneurial ventures, and we were seeing what's going on in the industry, uh, we really thought that we had a potential competitive edge 
um, and a team that was capable of doing something really exciting in the industry. So that that's kind of where it where it started. Um, so from that, walk me through the pitch on getting the. Obviously, you got the connection with NYU, but how do you get somebody from Anheuser Busch to kind of jump into your stand, uh, your startup? And early, and early on, you hear about it now, but like 2014, that's like a, you know, a what are you smoking kind of career move, I would imagine. Right. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I think it was, you know, there's always luck involved, but I think that um, there were a couple things, and I'll, I'll speak for Chris, and I, I think he would agree with <laughs> agree with what, what I'm saying. So when Chris was the uh, CMO of Anheuser-Busch InBev, he'll tell you that cannabis was on his radar, even as CMO, although they were really thinking about the craft brew, um, craft brewing um, kind of phenomenon that was going on. They were working through the ABI merger. Um, Chris was focused on bringing Stella Artois to the U.S. So he had a lot of other things going on in his like um, in his world. But cannabis was on his like radar, and he said they decided to table it at the time and, and look at it later. But he, as a individual, as a marketer, you know, he ultimately left um, ABI. He you know teaches marketing. He's written a book on it. He um, has been on the board and started startups um, in you know CPG companies. So he's super passionate about this. He was always very interested in cannabis, and I just happened to happen to be an NYU alum and kind of reach out to him at the right time. Um, and I think the thing that really resonated for him um, was the key tenet of our brand. Um, you know, we 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 all come from all these various you know successful careers and backgrounds, but it was really important for us to do something responsibly. Um, we knew that, like, in order to be a pioneer in this industry, that there was a lot of inherent responsibility um, in that. And we had to not only build a business, you know, on the up and up, but there was a cultural responsibility and there was responsibilities with, you know, several of the founders have kids and, like, this is an illegal drug. So Chris really liked the low-dose, micro-dose um, responsibility kind of pillar in our business. Um, and that was enough for him. That was enough to intrigue him. To say, okay, this is something I can put my name behind. Um, it's something I've been wanting to do. I really like the team and something I want to get into. We have, you know, kind of talked around Toast as a company, but we haven't actually said what it is you guys do. And you just touched on it there, Puneet, but tell us, tell us about Toast. Sure. So, uh, you know, we when we started back in 2014, we had a, a very simple thesis. Um, it was as we were looking at the industry um, and getting more and more excited about kind of what was going on, as, as many of us were, uh, we saw a lot of focus on kind of the supply side of the business, the ancillary businesses. Um, but our team really understood brands. And um, what we didn't see was a lot of focus on the consumer experience. How will this product in the next 10 to 50 years be enjoyed? Um, what will that look like? And of course, that's like the you know, multi-billion dollar question. Um, now, from our standpoint, we, and, you know, of course we were biased because we we have team members that come from alcohol. We believed that cannabis would fall, recreationally would follow a template similar to alcohol, um, not only because a consumer behavior, but because of regulatory frameworks. And that, you know, generally if the government has something that's working, they're likely over time going to adopt similar laws and set up the infrastructure that way. And so, <clears throat> We, uh, we knew that cannabis would be different than alcohol. There'd be nuances. And that over time, we've learned that it's much more versatile and um, has many more uses than alcohol. Um, but that was kind of our premise going in. And then second, we said that if uh, there, were, there were three parts, or that was one thing. The second was 
if we were a if we were like Anheuser Busch and Bev, or if we were Moet Hennessy or one of these other large companies, what would we do to launch a brand? Um, and what are those fundamentals of business um, that you need to have in place in order to effectively launch a brand? Um, you know, we have we have a great asset of Chris on our team that can kind of actually tell us what those fundamentals are and help guide us. Um, but but that was also really important to us because we knew there was going to be a lot of noise, a lot of like booms and busts, and and we knew we just needed to stick stick to a path of fundamentals. Um, and, uh, and so we, we kind of took that, uh, we, we took that thesis. Uh, and then the third thing was just about responsibility, um, about doing this the right way, being the poster child, if you will, of not only consumers and investors, but also regulators. Uh, we wanted to be the, the model company, um, you know, if just, just as people ethically, but also um, business as a company that's going to be around for a while. So, so we, we took that um and where we landed was that you know we we our first product was uh, in our flagship product as we call it a slice it's essentially a a filtered pre-roll um you know and uh it, the thesis was that one slice is like one drink um and what i what i mean by that is that uh with all this confusion of kind of what was being sold in the dispensaries and the stories we were hearing about people going in and buying something and have ne negative experiences we wanted to create a very familiar very simple and easy to understand um, model that uh, a consumer would really need to know not, they wouldn't really need to know anything. Um, if they trusted the brand, they would know that this is a product that will make them feel good. And it's a good, it's a good way to enjoy cannabis. Um, and so that's what we did. We, we came out with this pre-roll um, and we said one slice is like one drink. Uh, most people know what a cocktail will do to them um, and how they'll feel. Um, you know that if you haven't had a cocktail in like a year and you have one, it's going to be a little stronger. If you have a cocktail every night, you know that you're going to have a little bit of a tolerance and it's going to it's going to hit you just right. And um, but you'll you'll be fine. Um, and so we, a similar kind of guidance to consumers, we launched a two to one CBD to THC pre roll um, called Toast Original um, in Aspen, Colorado, in February 2017. Um, and then from there, you know, I could talk about how we developed, but, but that was kind of our initial going in approach. And you were, uh, very focused on microdosing and, and low dose benefits, right? This wasn't, you know, a strong, you know, Indica or, or anything like that. You were very focused on that, that low dose customer, right? We were really focused on low dose because, uh, so, so the answer is yes. Um, and that's because. Um, for us, if you're developing a product that, um, that is going to be integrated into one's lifestyles and you're, you know, we're moving on from legalization to normalization, uh, then a product that is going to kind of knock you down immediately is not something that you would do that often. Um, yeah. maybe some, so, and for, so we knew that, so we wanted to create a product that was approachable and something that people could really enjoy just like they enjoy drinks or, or whatever their, you know, their products might be. So that was important. The second thing, um, which, you know, we don't probably advertise as much as that our products, toast products are sativa dominant. So, um, mm -hmm. we, we, uh, we just given the brand and it, more of a the kind of the lifestyle that and the experience that we're pushing, it is more high energy. Um, you know, we initially kind of, we, we went strong with the alcohol theme as we activated the company um, or activated the brand in Aspen. We did a lot of events um, with local businesses 
Um, and we, we actually brought Aspen its first cannabis lounge, a mobile cannabis lounge, um, signed off by uh, government officials all in the up and up. Um, and so we, because we wanted to show consumers that cannabis could be enjoyed, you know, as a complement or um, alternative to alcohol. And so we really went with that kind of like um, that theme. Now, of course, over the course of time, as we started selling our products and we started seeing who was consuming it, we found out that while that's one very popular use case, consumers actually love our products for many other reasons too. Um, and so that, you know, the brand has grown since then. So in addition to doing the, the low dose THC stuff, in, in the last year, it seems like Toast has really leaned in on doing the full-spectrum hemp extract. Can you talk about um, why you guys wanted to make that that move and then just kind of talk about um, why 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 you think there's this all this excitement around CBD and whether or not you think it's it's something that could just – is it going to last really or is this just going to be a fad? Sure. No, so – so, uh, you know, there were, there were a couple things that really got us excited about CBD, and some of them are, um, some of them are more business-oriented, and others are um, really just the consumer driving it and the pull um, from consumers. So, <clears throat> you know, since the, since the launch of our brand in Aspen, a, a, lot, of our, a lot of our team lives in New York. Um, we've had just a constant pull from New York about, you know, we'd love to have toast in New York. Um, mm -hmm. How can we have toast in New York? And we kept saying... You can't have toast in New York. It's not legal. <laughs> so, so we kept. That just um, sounds funny. No toast in New York. <laughs> so we, we, you know, we we kept hearing that. We we're like, oh, I wish we could we could figure something out. Um, and so you know, we we kind of joked about hemp and CBD at the time, but we never really did anything about it. Um, but our products from the beginning have been CBD dominant. The way we microdose them, we actually didn't put it on our packaging in the beginning. We just used CBD, uh, cannabis derived CBD, to actually dose our products. Our and. Um, because people didn't really know what it was at the time. They just knew that when you kind of mixed it with THC, they were like, oh, you know, when I have a toast, I feel very different. It's like a, it's so different from, a, you know, only THC type of high. What is that? And then we would explain it's the CBD that you're feeling. Um, and so long story short, we we kept getting asked and we finally got asked by, by Chloe, which is a, a vegan restaurant chain, um, primarily in New York, but they're in Boston, LA and London as well. And they, uh, they wanted to create a CBD dispensary in the city um, where they infused their baked goods with CBD. Uh, and so we said, sure, let's, you know, you know, we, we really like by Chloe and we, we'd be, uh, we thought there was good brand alignment. And so we said, we'd, we'd love to do this kind of pilot with you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, long story short, that, uh, that was super successful and eye opening for us. And what I mean by successful is that it, um, we sold out like within hours. We had international press cover it. We had like lines around the door, lines around the block for by Chloe. Um, I mean, it was like TV, radio, print. Uh, uh, it, it, we were just amazed by the by, by uh, the what happened. Um, and then when we talked to the consumers that were buying the product, you know, a lot of them had already heard of the brand Toast. Um, and were some of the people that were wanting it in New York. Um, and then they were the others that had no idea, you know, didn't know about us. Um, after trying the product, uh, were curious about the cannabis products. Uh, and so we saw this cross pollination. We saw that CBD, um, you know, a lot of people that were kind of hesitant for cannabis, you know, were open to looking at CBD. Um, and then, you know, as we think of the brand, the brand's kind of roots are in CBD. Um, it just made sense for us to 
go into that market. Um, and then, of course, after releasing our oils, they kept asking us, well, you know, the oils are great. They're delicious. They work for us. And um, but what we really want is the slice. <laughs> so we <laughs> so then we launched Toast Emerald, uh, which is the, the you know, 100 milligram of CBD in each each pre-roll or slice. Um, and that, that's been a that's been a real great hit since we since we launched it um, a few months ago. That, it, it's really interesting the way you guys are are, are partnering with uh, with different brands, and so like uh, I, I'm going to get back into that a little bit in, in a little bit, but I want to talk about just where people are finding CBD. Obviously, there's a lot of people that are interested in it ob- from like you guys being able to do that stuff with the restaurant, um, but you know what makes your CBD different than what I can find in the bodega down the street or what somebody can get at a gas station because there's CBD at you know, regular old stores and their CD, CBD at Barney's. How do, how are consumers supposed to know what's actually of high quality? Right. Um, and I think this is one of the kind of, uh, ironic things that people, you know, people might not realize that, uh, that, that don't live and breathe the industry every day. Um, you know, cannabis, which is federally illegal, um, is extremely regulated in the States that it's legal. Um, and so when you, as a consumer, when you go into a dispensary, I, I think that I think most consumers would agree with this. There's no question of the quality that you're getting at a dispensary. <laughs> there's there's a very strong trust in that product. Um, and of course, unfortunately, with you know what we've seen, what the black market can do with some of the vape vape things um, that have unfortunately happened in our country. Um, and so, really, the less so as a CBD consumer, uh, when you're looking at products, and you know <clears throat> how do I compare brand X to brand Y or this product at you know, a gas station versus like, um, you know, something that's 10x more expensive at, you know, um, Nordstrom or Bergdorf. Uh, It's really, it really comes down to the brand. You know, unfortunately, and I know that our industry is really pushing, whether it be the FDA or other regulators, to to bring guidelines in. Um, In the absence of regulation, you will have bad actors. It's just inevitable. Mm -hmm. And of course, the addition of regulation in markets like California, Colorado, and Nevada um, have made it so that there's safe products available for consumers. CBD is absent of regulation. Um, And so I think the reason that consumers really like our products is we take everything that we learn from cannabis and we apply that. We we started with the plant of cannabis. We started in CBD. We apply that to to temp. And so, for example, just to make it more tangible, um, all of our products happen to be triple tested. So, you know, California does end form testing where you're, it's not the product going into manufacturing, but it's the actual final form that's tested. We do final form testing on CBD products. So that means that it's tested at the farm, it's then tested during manufacturing, um, and then the final actual like pack of toast is sent to a lab and tested in batches. Um, where and, are you, that's and, and where are you sourcing your product? So it, it, it um, you know, we, we by product, it's it's slightly different, but the oils come from Durango, Colorado, um, <clears throat> and our um, and our hemp um, actually comes from a mul- uh, we have multiple kind of partners, um, but they primarily come from the state of Oregon. Okay, and each uh, I certainly didn't mean to interrupt you, but the so the way that your testing is uniform regardless of what product be it cannabis or hemp and what state is that right right we so in the states you have to in you know in in states we work with co-packers toast doesn't actually 
run the cannabis facilities. Right. Um, so in in state in states we follow our co-packers follow the the guidelines of those states because they are slightly different. But um, what I'm saying is for hemp, where we do we're much more involved um, in the supply chain. We <coughs> excuse me. Um, we we actually take the strictest standards, um, which we take out of California. It, they call it Category Three testing, where they test for microbials, heavy metals, mm -hmm. um, pesticides, um, and it's final form testing. Um, we take those standards. We actually use the cannabis lab, um, and we send them our hemp products, and we test for potency, and we test for terpenes to ensure there's consistency per batch, um, and we put all those results actually on the product itself. Um, all that is, ex you know, it, all that isn't required by any law anywhere today, um, but but it's something that we do um, partially to raise the bar for other brands to do it, um, but also because the consumer, as the, cons the consumer should demand it um, and they will demand it over time. And I think it just makes business sense because eventually the industry, you know, is going to catch up and they will put these regulations into um, hopefully into place on a national standard. And you guys are already kind of ahead of the curve, uh, in doing that and providing, you know, these safeguards for your clients. So I feel like it's an investment in the future of your brand. Um, if you're doing it now. Exactly. And it's, uh, it kind of goes back to that third pillar of responsibility. Um, you know, we, uh, <clears throat> it's just something that we need to feel very comfortable about what we're giving to our consumers to, to purchase. Um, and that's the only way we know how to do it. Um, you know, I mean, I can, uh, th there was a time where, you know, in California, for example, um, testing was not required. Um, and it was, I, I remember July 1st, 2018 was the date that testing first became required and 90% of brands fell off the shelf because uh, they I remember didn't. that. Mm -hmm. So there was a very, uh, <clears throat> You know, there was a very strong kind of, we, we worked with our co-packer um, and uh, the issue was that the labs weren't even up and running. <laughs> so even if you wanted to test it, you could, you know, that you couldn't test it. And so I remember we made it, we were planning on launching the market uh, January 1st, 2018 with our co-packer, um, but we decided to wait, um, which was a very difficult decision to make because you, if you wait, you're, you're foregoing sales. Um, but we waited until a lab was up and running. We waited till we, you know, way before July 1st that we had the testing results that would be required. Um, because that would, because other, other, if you don't do that, then you're potentially selling um, product that's not clean. Um, even if it's legal, it's not clean. And so we kind of look at the same way in hemp. Um, we know the laws are coming. Um, we've seen the worst of what can happen in the in the vape crisis uh, if you don't do it this way. Um, so I think it's just very it's very important to us as people, but also as a brand, um, in order to do that. And and we hope, and the reason we share this all is because we hope brands, other companies, including you know, our competitors, um, follow suit. So reminding our listeners, we're talking with Puneet Seth, CEO and co-founder of Toast. So Puneet, you brought it up a couple of times. Uh, the topic of brand building. You guys are 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 running this brand. You're getting a lot of excitement around it but there's a lot of competition out there just about everybody's uncle last year launched their own cbd brand it seemed like we're on the pr side we're constantly getting solicited by brands that want to do a launch or other companies that are getting ready to open up new stuff how do you guys stay above the fray in this really competitive market how are you building those connections with consumers and building that loyalty 
You know, it's a, it's a really, it's a really good question. I think it's, um, so it's multifaceted for us. Um, I think it first starts with, um, really first building a brand, you know, um, you know, obviously a brand is not simply nice packaging. It's not labels thrown on a product. Um, it has to stand for something. It has to have purpose. Um, it has to have track record, um, and trust. So, you know, Chris always sells, we sell, Chris always says we sell trust in a box. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And so that's, you know, we do have track record now. So people have learned who we are. Um, they expect a certain quality with the products that we create. We're never, we're not usually the first to come out with something. Um, but, but when we do come out with something, it's usually, you know, one of the highest quality of, of, of that, of that thing. So, um, I think it's, I think it's that one of the things that I, <clears throat> I think that's one piece of it. So it's that trust component, but going back to the brand, um, one of the other things that we kind of did from the beginning, which I think might be a little different uh, than others is, uh, you know, I tried to come up with a better way to describe this, but, uh, uh, but I always use again, Chris's words on these, but we, we call it the sin and soul. Um, in our opinion, every brand, um, you know, a good brand should have a little bit of sin in it and naughtiness, if you will, um, as well as the soul aspect of, um, you know, of cannabis that we know. What I mean by that is, um, and not not to speak poorly of anyone else's strategy, it's just how we think about it. You know, a lot of cannabis and CBD products have moved away from the plant. It's all about masking the plant, uh, acting like it's not a plant, acting like it's not cannabis. Um, moving away from the, you know, thousands of years of culture of smoking cannabis. Um, you know, we did the opposite. We embrace it. Um, we, we kind of take the fact that the initial, the original form of consuming cannabis is in fact smoking it. Um, and we made it our flagship product. And on top of making it flagship, we kind of made it a little shiny and beautiful so that everyone knows that you're consuming it. Um, and so I think that's, uh, we do that because, uh, because, you know, there, there's a whole kind of conversation in our country and, and about about uh, the about smoking. And you know, we we're not we're not a company that promotes heavy you know heavy um, smoking consumption. But we do respect the fact that um, the majority of people still like to consume cannabis in that way. And there's a there's a lot of good reasons for that. Um, and so I think we embrace that part of the brand, uh, that product line. Um, but we also um, understand and this kind of goes to our development as a company where we started with that alcohol analogy um that cannabis is also used for wellness um and you can be a brand and you can be a consumer that um you can be like a a, a consumer that likes to you know smoke um cannabis or you know maybe hemp uh but you also like to take care of yourself. And actually the majority of people are that way. They like to do some guilty pleasures, but they also um, really care about taking care of themselves. And I think we're one of the only brands that allows a consumer to do that um, within its own, within one kind of set of, within one brand. So it's really, it's, it's really building that trust. It's building a brand that has depth, that has an authentic story that isn't afraid to kind of, you know, be itself. Um, and I think that really resonates with consumers. Um, I could go on there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got, I've got, I've got a follow up for you because one of the main problems that cannabis companies are still facing is 
the the difficulty when it comes to promotion uh, across a digital landscape. Like you can't, you're, you're limited in what you can do on on Facebook and Instagram. You're limited, you're limited on what you can really do online. So I imagine that's where you guys are are able to connect the most easily with your customers, rather than like the folks that can actually physically go into the stores. Like, how do you generate that excitement in New York when there's not Toast products there yet? Right. So I think that, um, you know, that kind of goes into kind of marketing and sales strategy. So I, um, one of the, uh, when we, when we were just in cannabis, the way we did it was very similar to how, again, a spirits company would do it. Um, you know, you build a, you're building the brand for the state, eventually for the country, but you have to activate locally. Um, and so I mentioned, I brought that, or we brought that cannabis lounge to Aspen. Um, Because one of the best ways to get people to understand your product is to have them trial it. Um, And so we've done very very targeted activations to hit populations of people to educate them about cannabis, but also um, have them experience toast in a legal way. Um, And so I think that we did a lot of that, you know, in the first couple of years of our business. Um, You know, you you couple that with, um, you know, good good coverage in the press. and uh, and people start learning about about you, but really it's the expansion in the CBD and now being sold nationally through distributors and being on the shelf and um, in you know hundreds and thousands of locations. It's it's really that that that's kind of the next step. Well, you first then you have to be able to be bought. If you're a regional brand, it's really hard to grab the attention of New York. But if you can be bought online and you're actually available on the shelf in New York, um, then you're making traction. So for us, the next step was really. And that's what we've spent um, 18 and I'd say 19 mainly and, and, and start at the beginning of this year is really getting distribution and getting that national presence. Um, and, and, and you're absolutely right. From that, we're, we're then taking the digital marketing, which we there, there are a lot of restrictions, but there, there's also a lot of things you can do. Yeah, I have to say your Instagram is beautiful. So we'll we'll make sure that we put a link in there. But it, it's you guys you guys do a great job. I appreciate that. Um, but we take that um, in addition to, of course, some curated press that uh, we're fortunate to get. But in addition to that, that kind of brings us to the another key area, which is collaborations. So we've um, you know we just launched our chocolate with Fine and Raw. It's a chocolate supplement with Fine and Raw, which is a Brooklyn-based uh, raw vegan chocolate company. Um, they're currently distributed in Whole Foods and various other major outlets. Um, and so our partnership with them is that they're they're making a toast and fine and raw chocolate supplement. Um, and that that product, um, you know, we, we've sold out of every batch we've made. It's it's gotten really great demand. Um, but the the business advantage of that, um, besides it being just a super delicious chocolate, and the, we we love the founders of Fine and Raw, um, is that. Uh, it allows you to, they get to benefit from our consumers, um, and we get to benefit from their consumers. We get, um, we get immediate credibility and we get immediate access to distribution. Um, and we have a couple other great collaborations like that in the pipeline, which are going to, you know, further grow our brand name. Um, and so that's, that's, it's, again, it's multifaceted. It's being creative and doing things like this that really help get the word out about your brand. And then of course you always have to deliver, the product has to deliver and actually be as good as you're, you're saying it is. And, you know, we've been fortunate to get that right too. I also want to talk a little bit more about form factors. I mean, you mentioned uh, branching out and partnering um, with, with chocolate. Um, You know, do you, do you see um, 
you know, things like vapes or uh, any other type of edible, do you see that form factor in your future as well? Because it does seem, uh, you know, you guys have sort of hit on the fact that um, CBD is a great entry point to um, cannabis and hemp products in general. Um, and you know, that comes in many different forms. So for people who aren't into smoking, um, I personally am an edible girl. Um, you know, are, are other form factors coming, um, under the toast brand in the future? Uh, the the short answer is yes um where you know where it makes where it makes sense for the brand and 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 the the company so um so you're absolutely right you know we were uh, the question earlier on is cbd a fad you know the oils and the uh the smokable are kind of the purest rawest forms of cbd for people that are just looking for that um the chocolate that we just released um there's many people that are buying the chocolate because they they want cbd but there's also a lot of people that are buying the chocolate because they want a delicious vegan chocolate and they like the fact that it has CBD in it. Um, and that's a really important point because as we think about the evolution, this is, I'm going to round back to your question about the form factors. Um, is CBD it's as a, as it on its own will likely, I, I don't, I don't want to know. I, I don't know if it's a fad, but it's, it's something that will boom and bust. But if you can create a set of products in a brand that leverages CBD and then maybe in the future CBN and CBG and THC and all these other things, um, and you're you're more focused on a plant-based company, um, then that's not a fad. Um, and so that, that's why I say Toast partnering with Fine and Raw, uh, we're not making a CBD chocolate. We're actually getting a really good chocolate and a really good CBD and putting them together and making a really good product that can be enjoyed by a lot of people. And so similarly, we'll be doing something like that in the beauty space. Um, we Ooh. Uh, Ooh, that's an exclusive <laughs> for Greenlash listeners, I believe. <laughs> so we're, you know, we're fortunate to have a really great partner um, that, that we'll be uh, bringing on um, that, that, has, that we've signed up exclusively. We can't really talk about it much right now, but it's someone that has really great, um, really great distribution, is very well known internationally in the space, um, and, you know, brings a lot of credibility to beauty. Um, and has chosen up to, you know, we, has chosen to work with us um, in that space. So we're um, we're excited about that. And anytime we can do something like that, you know, we'll definitely do it. That uh, this kind of goes back to the, to the brand building. So since you guys have somebody from uh, Anheuser Busch uh, working with you, is is that a, a potential partnership to look into like beverages and maybe even go um, higher THC type products or, or anything like that? Are those other things that you're also exploring? You know. Um, we would love to do more product innovation on the THC side, but keep, I guess, keeping in mind that we're not generally the co-packer. Um, we don't touch the plant. Uh, and and the, it, THC lends itself to be much more difficult because you do it state by state. Um, and so our thinking has been that most of our form factor innovation will happen on the CBD side. Um, and when products, we, we believe products um, are doing extremely well and would do well in THC markets, we would then bring them over. Um, so I think, so more to be seen on that. Um, on the beverage front, we've of course had that conversation. Um, we've talked about it um, at length, you know, and I, I think there are some good companies out there that are doing some great, great work on the beverage side. Um, but I think it's remained to be, it remains to be seen how, um, how the consumer will react to beverages. Chris always reminds me that beverages are really hard, the last mile, um, distribution. Um, it's just extremely difficult. Um, and until we understand how will consumers react to a beverage, 
until we have lounges and there's like repeatable behavioral, like it becomes a behavior. Um, it's not something that, um, you know, we're looking at jumping in right away, but we think we have the perfect name for a beverage. Um, you know, if, the t if, if, uh, you know, if the consumers want a beverage, um, you know, that's something we would definitely consider in the future. Yeah, we have, we have complicated feelings about beverages here at the Green Rush. Um, <laughs> but I, I want to switch to, uh, you know, we talked a lot about marketing and brand. Um, you know, everyone in this space, you know, be it a public company, a private company, a, a, a dedicated brand, um, knows that there's this huge capital crunch going on, um, you know, that the U.S. and Canadian operators are experience, experiencing. What is your current view, you know, of the market and how have your conversations gone with with potential investors? And, you know, are, are you finding them to be skittish? Um, are they liking you because you are a private company or or uh, I guess I'm just leaving that question open ended to you? Sure. You know, I mean, it, there's there's no way to um, kind of say that, it, you know, it's, it's definitely been a tough year for our industry in 2019. Um, you know, I, I think it's the first of probably several busts, if you will, that'll happen. And, you know, anybody in the industry can tell you they knew the bust was coming because, you know, valuations were just skyrocketing. Um, and uh, so it, it's not a surprise, but it doesn't mean that it's easy, even if you know it's coming. So, I mean, I think I think what it, what it lends itself to is that um, even though directly we weren't impacted by it um you are impacted by it but when everyone else is impacted by it mm -hmm. um so i think one of the advantages we have um is that we're our business model and that we that, <coughs> excuse me and that we're in thc and cbd we have multiple form factors we have multiple states we're national um we we have a, you know we we aren't the actual license holders um we're able to kind of shift our risk around. So as as these kind of trends are happening in the market, um, we're as a from a business standpoint, we're able to kind of ride those waves. I mean, I think back in 2014, one of the one things we said, like um, as a business, was uh, the only not, not to like um, sound cliche, but like uh, the only thing that's certain is that there will be lots of change and lots of uncertainty in this industry, and that regulation will be surprising. Um, and so we need to build a business model that can withstand lots of volatility. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I think that's what we're experiencing. So, um, we, from an investment standpoint, you know, we've been fortunate to bring on, uh, very, uh, you know, investors that are kind of, that understand consumer packaged goods. No, everyone knows that brand building is hard and it takes years, if not decades <laughs> to do, to do well. Um, and so everyone that, um, is kind of, you know, part of the toast investment family, if you will, um, you know, comes in knowing that um, and have not only been supportive of, of uh, you know, tough times in the industry, but have also kind of doubled down, if you will, um, really believing in the thesis of our company. So we're, again, we're very fortunate to have that. Um, and uh, I think it's, uh, you know, we're humbled by it as well, because um, it, it, it has been a tough year. Um, and, you know, there's been, there's been companies that have been dis disproportionately hurt um, by just bad luck in certain situations. So, um, but, but what we do see in 2020 is that, um, it, it seems, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not someone that's going to predict anything, uh, in this industry, but it, it, it does seem like we, we seem to be coming out of, um, the, the sentiment seems to be turning positive and, you know, we hope that the lessons have been learned in the public markets and, um, 
and we'll start seeing some more, you know, uh, business based on fundamentals, um, and that that we're coming out of this kind of rut that that 2018 was. Yeah, I think we've all, you know, had conversations certainly on this podcast that, you know, investors especially are kind of looking for, you know, operational, um, you know, excellence and and understanding, you know, the companies are going to do what they say they're going to do. And they kind of, you know, I think before 2019, it was a lot of promises um, and not delivering on those promises. So I think the companies who are, you know, sticking to their plans and, you know, executing on their strategies are the ones who are going to ultimately win in the end. You have been so uh, generous with your time um, and we have two more questions for you. So if you'll bear with us, we ask these two questions of all of our guests. Um, can you talk about a time in your life that you have failed, um, what it was and what you learned from it? You've had such a, an entrepreneurial journey, you know, with the background in finance, but kind of taking this leap. Um, just how, is there anything that sticks out in your mind as a time that you really screwed something up and, and learned something amazing from it? Um, Yes, I've definitely screwed up a lot of things in my life. Um, it's just a question of which would be the best example. <laughs> <laughs> you can do more than one if you want, but. <laughs> so for anyone that knows, uh, so I worked at Bridgewater, um, which is a hedge fund. And for anyone, Ray Dalio is the, uh, is the fam- I guess, the famous kind of founder of that company. He's come out with a book called The Principles. Um, and anyone that knows about Bridgewater will know will know that that is a company where you work, you focus on your weaknesses. So all you do all day is talk about things oh that you're not good God. at and how you, how, how you can improve. <laughs> that sounds so, terrible. Um, so I screwed up a lot there. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, um, you know, I mean, I think one of the, uh, I'm just trying to think of a good example. I think uh, I definitely, <clears throat> excuse me, um, when I when I was at Bridgewater, um, I was responsible for doing a lot of the, um, there were a lot of things in operations and and kind of the um, the running of certain departments, um, and I definitely royal. Uh, I won't get into the details, but I definitely royally screwed up some things that got um, some of the most um, senior people in the company pretty pretty upset with me. Um, and I think, uh, luckily, it's a great place to make mistakes. Um, and um, you know, I, I think what I it's kind of like these lessons are always very obvious. <laughs> so like, it's, I, I'm not going to have a profound advice for anyone. Um, but I think uh, the thing I learned and it's been helpful for me in Toast is um, you don't always have to have the right answer as a person. Like, you know, if you're the CEO of a company, you don't have to be the expert of everything that your company does. Um, but the most important thing is that you it is your responsibility as a leader to always bring in the smartest and best talent you can to solve a problem, um, even if you, you know nothing about it. And so in the, whatever I, the thing I screwed up, I, I acted like a know-it-all and I completely messed everything up, didn't ask for help. Um, and so that was a big lesson. And so kind of how I would tie it back to Toast is that, um, you know, we, we had we had a really great idea with Toast. Uh, we had a really great team. My other co-founders are also, you know, experts in brand building. Um, but I didn't feel comfortable jumping in both feet in until I had Chris on my team. Um, and I'll say that because um, I was like, uh, you know, we're building a brand in a brand new space. Um, I, I, I need, I need someone of like real stature to say that this is a good idea. Um, and I think, I think when, when Chris joined our team, um, having launched Stella and the, and, you know, and being really responsible for Coke zero in a lot of ways, 
um, just having his guidance and his knowledge was really helpful. And so I, I've become much more humble since that experience and knowing that, um, uh, and I've been, I think we've been really fortunate at Toast to being able to bring in really smart people at various things. So that's yeah. what I would. Yeah, I think the old adage is trying to, uh, when you're a boss, trying to bring in people that are smarter than you so they can keep making everything better. Um, but so our, our last question for you, Puneet, um, what's the big story or what do you think the story that either the, the, the media should be covering? What are, what are we missing about the, the cannabis industry that, that you would love to see on the, on the front page of uh, um, the Denver Post or the New York Times? Sure. I mean, um, there's probably – there's a couple things that come to mind. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I think I think one would be that our industry just went through this downturn. Uh, hopefully, we're on an upswing, but we predictably will hit future downturns. Um, it's just inevitable, and um, it, it always comes down to like fundamentals. And um, are our investors and markets focused on fundamentals, or are they kind of getting caught up in some whatever the hype of the moment is? So I think like. Um, we have an industry that has great demand. Um, it's following the the tenants of consumer packaged goods. It's following kind of alcohol regulation. Um, we already know what the issues are going to be. Um, so I think I think more coverage on fundamentals and like maybe highlighting businesses that are doing things the right way would be would be great because um, I, I think the uh, there's just a lot of noise out there and um, and information on that would be that would be um, would be really helpful. The oh, other thing that would make our job easier. <laughs> the other thing I would just mention, um, and I do see a, I do see a lot of this in our industry because I know our industry really cares about this, um, but I don't necessarily see it in the press. Um, you know, there's a whole cultural component. There's there's like positive and negative cultural components um, when it comes to our industry. There's just a lot of history there. There's books been written on it, um, and I think we're, as we build as we build um, for this industry and we build for like the consumer of now and the future, um, there's also the consumer of the past. Um, and there's the culture of the, of how this, you know, how cannabis and hemp and various products have been enjoyed, which we, we shouldn't forget and we should make part of our industry. Um, and there's also a lot of bad things that have happened, like with, um, you know, social justice issues, incarceration. And again, I know I hear about this all the time in our industry and I see that events, but I don't see the press covering it. And I don't, um, I don't see the press covering kind of uh, um, people that have been unfairly hurt by our, uh, unhurt by the, uh, or sorry, hurt by the, uh, by the issues of the past, um, and that might not be getting the fair opportunity they should be in today's industry. So I think more coverage on that would be really helpful, um, and because I think people, I think a lot of people don't even know, um, they they don't know that past, um, and so it's important for people to know that. Puneet, thank you so much. This has been really great and you've been so generous with your time. Um, we, uh, you know, have the, the toast wellness, um, website that we can put on our, on our, in our show notes. Um, but is there anywhere else that you'd like people to find you? Yeah. I mean, I think toast wellness is a good place. Um, we also have, you mentioned the Instagram. Oh yes. We toast on Instagram. It's delightful. Right. So yeah, we, um, love to continue the conversation on either of those forums with, with people. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Our thanks to Puneet Seth, co-founder and CEO of Toast. Check them out online at toastwellness.com and on their very excellent Instagram page at we toast. 
As always, thanks for listening. If you want to chat with us, find us at Twitter at the underscore Green Rush or on Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast or an email. Send us an email at Casey. <laughs> send us an email at greenrush at KCSA.com. I swear I'm getting through this. We love your feedback. We want guest ideas. Lewis wants hate mail. It's fantastic. Don't forget to subscribe to the Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher. That's like take 27 Shay. Take 27. <laughs>